Imagine dismantling your smartphone or tablet. With the contents spread out on the table in front of you, what do you see? Hundreds of tiny pieces, yes. But of what? Well, before becoming a part of your device, these pieces were once found under the ground. Aluminium, iron, copper, cobalt, chromium, nickel, lithium, you name it. It might not look like much there on the table, but if you consider that almost half the people around the globe own a smartphone or tablet, it begins to add up. And as the world's population continues to grow, so will the demand for raw materials used in these kinds of high-tech products. But there's another, even more significant reason why we need all those metals. And it's quite paradoxical. If we want to shift away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy sources, we're going to need a lot more metals, some of which are quite rare. We need them for those solar panels, windmills, and electric cars that we need to build. So how do we get a hold of all these metals and minerals? By getting better at recycling the materials already in use? Or by opening new, sustainable mines to find more metals and minerals to dig up? In the Nordic region, especially in Greenland, Norway, and Sweden, there are lots of minerals to be found. And there's a growing interest to make mining more sustainable. In this episode, we'll look at Swedish attempts to start green mining and European initiatives for better recycling. We'll also look at the role of the UN Global Goals in all of this. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. Electric cars will take over uh, IC engine cars, that is gasoline and diesel cars, in in next 20 years or even before that. So we'll having 50 million units of electric cars sold every year globally. And they all need resources. And the technological evolution is so rapid and there are so many uncertainty about the material sustainability. This is a very timely and an important issue. This voice belongs to Kesaf Parajuli. He works for the Sustainable Cycles program at the United Nations University in Germany. He's pointing to the fact that while an increasing number of electric cars is good for the planet, there are still some challenges that need addressing. Building electric cars requires a lot of metal. Not only do you need lithium for the battery, but you also need cobalt, nickel, copper, and lead. In fact, it takes three times more copper to create an electric car than a normal fossil fuel car, and 10 times more nickel, and the list goes on. The same goes for windmills and solar panels. In other words, the things that use and generate renewable energy require more metals than fossil fuel technologies. This puts us in a difficult position, especially if we want to comply with the Paris Agreement and reach the UN Sustainable Development Goals often called the Global Goals. We see now that uh, to reach the Global Goals and the Paris Agreement, we can't reach a single one of the Global Goals nor the Paris Agreement if we don't have access to sustainable energy and raw materials. And we need to make this energy transition. And for that, all the technology needed for that, like wind and solar and all of that, we need a lot of raw materials. This is Erika Ingvald. 
She is the head of the Division for Mining Information and Mining Industry at the Swedish Geological Survey. She's predicting increased global competition for key minerals and metals in the years to come. Raw materials have always been something that is very strategic. Uh, So it, it becomes part of the power play, if you like, across the world when, when the world is under pressure. So I think it's really important that we build the sustainable relationships with other parts of the world, but also make sure that we produce more ourselves. Shortly, we'll hear more from Erika about what's going on under the Earth's surface and how Sweden is playing a key role in the future supply of raw materials. But let's first go to Brussels, where we meet Peter Hanley, Head of Energy Intensive Industries and Raw Materials at the European Commission. In the European Union, the supply of raw materials is high on the political agenda. That's because the European region uses 20% of the global share of metals, while only producing 3% themselves. At the same time, many EU countries like Sweden, Finland and Denmark are leading the transition to cleaner energy. This means that mineral and metal consumption is projected to increase. Peter knows that Europe plays an important role in all of this. Europe has a particular responsibility because we are a very large consuming region of resources and products. I mean, we either make things in Europe or we import them. But either way, we're having an impact on the whole planet. So there's a lot of pressure on the planet, both in terms of the use of fossil fuels, but also the the way that we, we extract and use raw materials. And if we're honest about it, the benefits of economic development are not shared equally around the world. So there's an equity question as well. So to address all that, we have developed the European Green Deal as our way of moving towards climate neutrality and circularity by 2050. And this will involve fundamental changes in the way that society operates. Okay, so some people will say transitioning away from fossil fuels means a lot more raw materials. Maybe true, but we also have to rethink the way that uh, we consume. Uh, We have to think uh, as individuals, how we purchase uh, products and things like that. So, you know, we have to also try and reduce consumption and consume differently. So there are two ways to increase the supply of raw materials needed for the green transition. The first is to produce more, and the second is to recycle more. Let's start with the recycling part, how to reuse the metals and minerals in smartphones and tablets, for example. According to Kesef at the United Nations University, the amount of electronic waste is expected to continue piling up. Just to have a sense of how much we will need, well, predicting is always a difficult job. You know, forecasters are often wrong, but our estimates show that uh, the the amount of electronic waste will double in next 25 years. Um, so in terms of quantity, we will be uh, having 100 million tons of e-waste every year by 2045. Uh, that's the amount of materials with which you can build 30 Eiffel Towers every day. So that's the quantity, that's the scale we are talking about. As Kesev points out, there's good reason that this is the case. Sustainable Development Goals 
uh, is not only about uh, transformation to renewable energy and environmental goals, but also you know, ac access to education, decent employment, uh, women empowerment. For example, having a washing machine is, is still a luxury in many developing countries, right? Uh, so, and for all these, we need technology, and for that, we need material resources. So how are we doing in terms of recycling metals such as copper, nickel, and zinc? And what about the so-called critical raw materials like lithium and cobalt, often used in smartphones, tablets, and other high-tech products? This is Erika. We are already quite good at recycling uh, base metals, uh, steel, that kind of things that we've had in our society for a very long time. We are, for some of them, uh, recycling as much as is possible. But what is key now is to be able to start to recycle more of the high-tech metals and minerals that we, we haven't had in our society for so long. Uh, we also haven't mined enough to rely totally on, on uh, recycling for them. But we are really not good at recycling the ones that we have mined and have put to use in different products. So we need to really make an effort for those. And nowadays we almost use the entire periodic system so because of very complex technologies. And to be able to recycle, we also need to, uh, I think, think more about design, for instance, of products so that it becomes easier. And not only thinking about recycling, but reuse and second life of things. Kestev agrees that smartphone design is part of the problem. They're often difficult to take apart, making it hard to recycle the metal parts inside. We are very good at recycling base metals because they have been around for a long time and we have the technology to recycle them properly. And also products like 50 years ago, they used to be much simpler with less metals. Right now, um, Again, as Erika said, your phone has almost all these stable metals that are in the periodic table. So it is like trying to separate coffee, milk, water and sugar from a, a coffee, right? Uh, so there is this technological challenge. There is also the business challenge. Uh, no one is going to recycle materials for the environmental virtue, right? There has to be a business case. And for that, you know, we have to think holistically, we have to have products designed in a way that is easier to recycle. And there is all that part. And there, there are the consumers. So I, I wouldn't only blame consumers for not being able to recycle because it is also uh, about different factors. Uh, it is about many social, personal, psychological factors that define people's behavior. And recycling systems, they don't usually take those into account while designing the collection infrastructure or, or recycling infrastructure. So generally, solutions that are easy and cheap for the consumers are more likely to succeed. Uh, and this is something we need to take into account when we are designing waste collection and recycling systems. According to Kesev, most of us are a little too quick to get rid of our unwanted electronic devices. At least, that was one of the findings of his PhD research in circular economy and e-waste management at the University of Southern Denmark in Odense. Once I found a vacuum cleaner uh, that was completely functioning, but its bag was full. 
So my guess was it was someone who did not know how to replace the bag and got rid of the new vacuum cleaner. Uh, I mean, that could be an extreme example, right? But there are cases uh, I went through five tons of electronic waste and tested, you know, hundreds of different products and found that every fourth product is completely functioning. You can reuse them even without repair. There were also items that needed a little repair before they could work again. Kesev started a local repair cafe in Odense, a place where people could come and get their equipment repaired instead of throwing it out. It was the first repair cafe in Denmark, and he was surprised to see the level of engagement. People were really curious about it and they wanted to learn and to engage in the repair activity. So my understanding is there is um, a lot of scope in that. Many people are willing to repair and extend the life of their products, but uh, it is getting more expensive and there are not many options available and many people can't do it themselves. So maybe we also can consider how can we promote this kind of grassroots activities and engage more people in, in repair and reuse before the electronic products go to the recycling centers. Peter emphasizes that the demand for raw materials will continue to rise in the coming years, in both the tech and clean energy industries. This means that the way we extract metals must be sustainable in itself. I would say we have two equally important objectives, security of supply and sustainability. Um, And that's what's driving us. So what we're essentially looking for is uh, to diversify, because today we're too reliant on a small number of uh, countries that uh, give us most of the critical raw materials that we need. So we want to diversify from third countries. And within Europe, we want to do two things. We want to change the mindset so we can start to accept that uh, doing green mining can be good for the economy and good for society. But we also want to capture much more of the value that's in the economy already, what we call the urban mine. So for that, we need better knowledge. We need better techniques, but we also need better business processes. I mean, let's think, for example, of an aircraft, one entity worth a lot of money. It's got its own business case for uh, for taking it apart and reusing the materials. But if you look at a, a smartphone costing 200, 300 euros, there's millions and millions of these units around. It's much harder to deal with that large volume, small value of an individual Uh, critical raw material inside it. But what we're doing through European policy is quite interesting because uh, we last December came forward with a proposal on batteries, which does a number of things relating to raw materials. Firstly, it introduces due diligence for the supply chain of the battery raw materials that uh, that we're going to be using. So that's that's a first, if you like, sectoral approach to transparent supply chains if you exclude what's gone before in terms of food and, um, and, and tropical timber, for example. Secondly, we're going to set quite ambitious recovery and recycling rates for battery raw materials at the end of life. And thirdly, we're going to set minimum levels of recycled content for batteries that will be made as of 2030. So, for example, we're going to be expecting minimum of 12% use of recycled cobalt, 85% recycled lead, 4% recycled lithium and 4% recycled nickel. So this is what we can do to actually 
start to create the market for, uh, for sustainable secondary raw materials. Green mining, as Peter calls it, covers the practices and technologies that will reduce the overall environmental impact of the mining industry. There's no point trying to replace the classic uh, car with an electric car unless you can make the case that from beginning to end, it is better for the environment and better for society. Otherwise, we're just going to be incentivizing too much resource extraction and processing with impacts on air and water and biodiversity. So at least in Europe, when we're switching to achieve our European Green Deal goals, uh, the sustainability component is an integral part of it. We call it uh, uh, sustainable competitiveness, right? Other parts of the world may just rush to volume. I won't name anyone by name, but some parts of the world are really ramping up the volume of battery gigafactories and electric vehicles, but not necessarily in a way which is fundamentally better than coal-fired power or coal-fired metal production. Sweden hasn't opened any new mines for a long time, but now that's being reconsidered. Environmental sustainability will be a key issue in all of this, and serious attempts are being made to recycle rare minerals from the waste that mines produce. We are a country with a very, very long history of mining. So we have a lot of historical mine waste that was there before we got environmental laws in place, for instance. So the survey is doing quite a lot of work on mapping the waste and understand the contents of the waste. By mapping the waste, it could be possible to reuse the so-called rare earth elements, often called REEs. We also have uh, a project now that is going to take mine waste from iron ore production and uh, extract REEs and phosphor from that, uh, sulfuric acid. And a third thing that has been up and running for a number of years is recycling of scrap. Uh, One of the mining companies uh, has a line for that, their smelter in in northern Sweden. Uh, That company also does a lot of recycling of lead batteries. Generally, it's not an easy task to extract waste, especially from old mines. Historic mines were rather small. So we need to figure out a way, if we get so far as to be able to use the waste, we need to understand how we can actually do it so that we don't uh, put more stress on environment and also make it economically feasible. So there are a lot of challenges, but at least now we're working on it. So, so I think that's a very good step forward. And as I said, the, the mining companies are looking into their own waste to see if they can use that for other stuff. So I think it's exciting times. Around the world, the mining industry doesn't exactly have the best of reputations. Often this is due to the heavy environmental damage to the surroundings of the mines, or in many cases due to extremely poor working conditions. This means that the public is generally skeptical about mining. There's also resistance in the Nordic countries, but things are changing. 
I think the resistance towards mining is growing all over the world and also in Sweden. But we also see uh, support for mining. And I think uh, the public debate has been, and, and news reporting has been much more nuanced over the last, uh, yeah, well, I would say since we got the Paris Agreement and the Global Goals, because they sort of put the light on the right places so that people nowadays understand why we need mines, even though maybe they don't want them in their backyard. And they understand that in some parts of the world, the situation for miners may not be so good and for the environment. But if we don't buy from them, it can become even worse. So maybe this is a great opportunity to actually support countries that are ore producers that we buy from, to support them in their capacity building so that they become yet a better situation in their country with the mining. It's quite a complex thing we're discussing here. But as I understand it from the public discussion in Sweden, Journalists, for instance, become much more knowledgeable about both the industry and everything we need to do in order to develop our society. And not only Sweden or Europe, but, but it's a global issue. And I think the global goals have been so helpful in, in showing this. One of the things that we are really pushing for across Europe is to decarbonize the heavy industry sectors like steel, cement, chemicals, pulp and paper. And as Erika has said, interesting things are happening on steel in uh, in Sweden. And then beyond that, there's a lot of potential for going back to the mining wastes, both for rare earths, for phosphates, for, for graphite uh, and, and, other, and other critical raw materials. So, you know, for us, the Nordic region is really a testbed of what can be done. But it's very important to make sure that society understands and supports what we're trying to do. So we're going to have to wait for raw materials to be extracted in a far more sustainable way. But in the meantime, what advice can Kesav, Erika, and Peter give me? What I don't want to do is make our listeners feel guilty. You know, uh, of course, it is not only your responsibility as a citizen. Uh, businesses and policies still have to do a lot. But having said that, if you care about this issue and want to do something about this, then then I have two suggestions, let's say. First is that try to be curious. Think about uh, the devices that you use in your everyday life. Think about how they are made, where do they come from, where do they go, and so on. And this will give you uh, at least a time to reflect on how the problem is related to your lifestyle. And second is that it's something of a common sense, a conventional wisdom that don't be wasteful. I'm not saying that don't upgrade your old phone, but when you do, try to make sure that your old phone finds another life. Remember, what is waste for you might be of value for, for someone else. 
So don't feel guilty, but try to be a slightly more responsible consumer citizen. Here's Erika's advice. I agree we shouldn't make people feeling guilty, but what we've done in my family is to, we challenge ourselves to, to keep our phones, for instance, as long as we can until they really don't work anymore. So we, we really don't change every year. And so that's one part and with TVs and such. And that's actually quite fun. And to see how, how much you can save on not turning on the light in every room and all of those things. And finally, Peter's advice. I think uh, I would uh, advise us all to be more alert when we're choosing products. I mean, we already, thanks to things like eco-design, look at the energy use uh, and the cost of running an, a piece of equipment per year. And I would also say that the, the manufacturing sector has a very important role to play because it faces towards the, the individual consumer, but it also procures all its inputs upstream. So if a manufacturer can say, I expect circularity by 2030 for all my uh, components or raw materials, I expect a 20, 30, 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions along the process of those things, that actually has a massive impact on the whole economy. So what if all electric cars, windmills, and electronic devices were made from sustainably extracted metals and minerals? Or even better, what if the majority of materials in my phone were recycled? After listening to Kesav, Erika, and Peter, I realized that this is possible. But in the meantime, I'm going to hang on to my perfectly functioning smartphone until it breaks, and then I'll get it repaired. If you want to arrange your own Nordic Talks event, you can read more at nordictalks.com. I'm Afton Halloran, and thanks for listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. <laughs>